so encouraged. Uh, people have had us in their homes. They've allowed us to uh, eat meals with them already. We've uh, prayed with many of you, and we're excited to see what the Lord is going to do uh, in our... I guess there's a video that's going to play, but let's just skip that. There we go. Uh, we're excited to see what the Lord's going to do in this congregation. Amen? And the nagging question that's on everybody's mind is, well, we like Dan's wife, and we trust Pastor Steve, but can he preach? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> Open your Bibles to First Peter chapter 1, verse 3. We'll find out. <laughs> No, that's not what this is for. No, no. I, uh, I dedicate a lot of my uh, pastoral effort, my energy towards opening up God's word and seeing what it has to say for us. I'm anxious for us to be transformed by this book. I'm uh, jealous for God to be moving in our souls as we open up his word and hear it explained to us in today's context. Uh, I don't take this lightly. I uh, hope and pray that the Lord enters in today. So let me pray one more time for us as we get going, and then we will join us together in First Peter chapter 1. Lord, I am grateful for your provision in our lives. I'm grateful for your provision in this church and for the many people here who are serving you faithfully. God, be with us now as we look into your word. Help us to see what it has to say for our lives, God. May we walk out of this place today changed by you for the better. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, 1 Peter chapter 3, if you're finding your way there, uh, we are in the second week on a sermon series in 1 Peter. We started last week, Pastor Steve uh, opened us up with just verses 1 and 2. Now, if you're like me, and you hear that you're going to go through a sermon series on a book, and the first week you get through two verses, you're kind of like, we're going to do more than that, right? Yeah, today we have three. And it's the slow, scenic routes that I want to take us through today in God's Word that offer the most beauty. We could power through this. We could plunge right through to the end and just get something out of it. But I want us to take our time and, and to stop and to mind the depths of Peter's thought because it is a very precious and very real thing that impacts us today. Uh, first, Peter was written to those who are in exile. They were uh, those who were far from home, feeling out of place, not sure that they belonged. They were mocked, they were scorned, they were avoided, they were boycotted, they were persecuted, they were maimed, they were crushed, and some were killed. They were people without a sense of home. They were yearning for home. They were yearning for familiarity. They were yearning for harmony. And the people addressed by Peter, they're us. For we are those who have set our lives on a course to follow Jesus. And in so doing, we have begun to swim against the stream of culture and the world, and we are certain to bump into opposition and enmity with the world. This is what Jesus talked about in John 15. He said, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, Therefore, the world hates you. And so we are, elect exiles, foreigners in our own land, finding ourselves at odds with the systems of this world and in need of the greatest consolation that only the gospel can provide. And Peter knows his audience and their plight. And so look with me. Let's get into it. Verse 3 of chapter 1 in First Peter. He says, Blessed be the God and Father 
of our Lord Jesus Christ. Can we all read that out loud together? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In a contemporary translation, that might be said this way. To those of you who are serving Jesus and it's really, really hard, praise God. To those of you who are trying your hardest to serve the Lord and bring others around you to him, but you're not doing it well and it's hurting and it's causing pain, bless his name. To those of you who are being mocked, scorned, and crushed for the sake of the gospel, speak highly of God. Not quite sympathy card material here, is it? At first glance, if you're looking at this and you understand the context, you might think Peter needs to work on his bedside manner. Like, just tune that up a little bit, man. Be a little bit more compassionate. But this greeting is highly indicative of the perspective that Peter wants those in exile to take as they reflect on their present circumstances. No matter the condition of your home, your business, the relationships around you, blessed be the Lord. It reminds us of that amazing declaration of Job when his whole world comes crashing down. And he says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. But blessed be the name of the Lord. Peter is showing us that this is not a time for a dirge. Like, don't phone it in yet. This is not a funeral. This is not a time for a lament. This is a time to sing praises to God. These are stanzas of the most majestic New Testament psalm. Now, how do you instill courage into those who have been defeated? Maybe you today are sitting here feeling persecuted in your own family. You've raised your kids in the way that they should go, and yet the pressures of the world have drawn them and seduced them away. And it's caused frustration in your family. And you feel like an exile at Thanksgiving and Christmas and birthdays. And you struggle within the own context of your home. How do you instill courage in the gospel in that situation? You have tried hard at your job to make sure you operate by godly principles. You haven't shaved corners. You haven't cut shady deals You've honored the Lord with all that you are. You've stood the ground even when there was opposition to cave. And yet because you follow Christ, you still experience persecution. How do you instill courage in the fact that you need to provide for your family? How? 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 Peter shows us. You stop looking at the circumstances around you and you fix your gaze and you lift your eyes and you turn your countenance towards that which is supreme. That is the Lord God, our Father. You look up. Peter says, look up. The song of God's greatness sung, even in the lowest point, will give great glory and honor to God and raise the countenance of the downtrodden. And so to the people of God, even in far off lands where we feel far from home, even in moments of your soul where you feel like an outsider in your own community, we are not people without hope. You, listen, you, today, are not without hope. And this is going to be where Peter takes us today in 1 Peter 1, 3-5. He's going to show us the gloriousness of hope found in the past, in the present, and in the future. He's going to show us how amazing this hope is. And so if this is you walking in today despairing, I want you to listen attentively and see the hope we have for the hope within us. Look again at verse 3. You guys with me? Verse 3. Good. If you, if you ever feel like what I said was okay, that could justify like an amen. If you ever feel like 
what I said was pretty good. You could get out of your seat and, and just say, amen, thank you, Lord. If you ever, you know, you're, you're sitting and your heart is so stirred that you can't help it but be encouraged by what's being said, you could just high-five your neighbor and say, glory to God. I think I was, I was supposed to be scheduled for Gary today, wasn't I? <laughs> Terry, we'll, we'll get that straight next time. I can't wait to preach that. That's going to be amazing. Verse 3, back to verse 3 with me. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Oh my goodness, is there ever a verse in the Bible that should encourage our hope? It is that one. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Why can we bless the Lord? In moments when it is tough, in moments when we feel like we're exiles, why can you bless the Lord? It is simple. Because our hope rose with Christ. Our hope rose with Christ. Hope is what keeps us going in the hard times. It allows us to stay the course when times are tough, to get us to where we never thought we could go. Hope is what keeps us moving forward. Peter traces our hope to an event in history, saying that our hope it rose with Christ. Did you ever realize that there was a day when we were people without hope? That Friday, when hope was gone, buried in the grave. That beautiful expectation that was once so alive, full of the promise of reconciliation and freedom and peace. But men of wrath and despair who were just like us bound our hope to the cross with nails. That day the sunlight could not bear to look down from the heavens to see the hope of the world dimly fading away, rejected by the ones in which he had come to give himself. And hope gave way to dismay. And on that day, hope died. All was suspended like snowflakes in the air, time passing yet going nowhere. Purposeless, defeated, subject to continued frustration. Without the solution to this problem within our soul, we were lost without our hope. More correctly, by our sin, we extinguished hope. And a stone was rolled over the dark tomb, and our hope was laid to rest. And it was cemented, that sober reality that all, was for nothing. I wonder what the people who knew him did that night that hope died. I wonder the tragic cries and wails that they must have cried out, hopelessly yearning for something again. How heavy the absence of hope weighs upon the heart. I wonder their emotions as they realized that everything had been lost, that hope was gone. But you and I stand on the other side of hopelessness. You and I have never seen the day where hope was in a void. Because that day, just a few hours later, the full power of God rushed upon the earth and rolled that stone of despair away. And out of the grave walked a victorious conquering King Jesus, so fully transformed, so fully alive. 
He stepped out of the coffin of hopelessness into a world brimming with hope. Our hope had never been more alive than the day that our Lord Jesus was resurrected from the dead. The grave was not strong enough to keep him. Death no longer reigned in finality. Jesus arose and our hope rose with him. And Peter, you should applaud that. That's, and Gary, they'd be out of their seats high-fiving each other. My goodness. Whew. Peter admonishes us in the midst of our trials and our dismay. To not look around at the circumstances of this present day, but to look back to the past and to see that hope is alive. Look back and see God's great mercy that Christ is no longer dead, but he is alive. And Peter's point in looking back is this. Listen, just as Christ has been raised to life, so our souls, so your souls, so your kids' souls might be raised to the newness of life. We have hope that rose with Christ from the dead. Amen? Amen. Peter explains to us how this works. Look back in verse 3 with me. He says, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's a picture here of rebirth, of born again. It's a picture of spiritual regeneration. That's like the technical nerdy language to mean born again or saved. Being born again, that is, is something that is, um, it's just not culturally okay. I don't know. I wasn't around for this. This will give you an indication of how old I am not. Uh, I wasn't around for the hippie days. I hear that was a thing. We have hipsters today, but not hippies. Uh, it was the day of the Jesus movement when it was popular to be born again. People throw that term around, born again. And there were some in society who were born again. Those born agains. This was a problem even in Jesus' day. It was Nicodemus, the religious leader, who came to Jesus at night and asked him and interviewed him, what must he do to be saved? And Jesus' response to him it was, unless a man is born again, he will not see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus kind of does for all of us what we're thinking at that moment. He kind of like squirms a little bit, like, ugh. And then he says, I, I don't know if I want to know the mechanics of how that process happens, but I, I'm pretty sure, Jesus, I can't enter the womb a second time. What are you talking about? <laughs> Let me uh, maybe help clear this up using my own story as an example. Uh, you've already heard, and thank you, Terry, for praying for us. Um, my wife and I are pregnant. We were expecting a little son. That's like one of like half the people in this room seems like are pregnant, which is awesome. We love that. That's so cool. Um, by the way, like I'm not a don't let your kid not cry in church kind of guy. Like let your kid cry. It's great. Love, love that kids are here. Uh, but we're having a baby and uh, there's a lot going on in our family right now. And there's just a couple small things. We're, we're moving. It's a small thing, you know, we're leaving our home. Uh, we sold our house the other day, which was awesome. Our home, yeah, we praise the Lord for that. Seven days on the market in a depressed economy, that's called a miracle. So thank the Lord for that. We're having a child about eight days after we vacate our house. So sympathy and prayers go out to my wife, who is going to be highly uncomfortable and angry and probably punching me, saying, why are we doing this? <laughs> And yeah, right. Yep. It's not according to the rules of how this works, guys. And so 
our doctor being caring and gracious and understanding said, you know, we're not going to make you wait the whole entire term. You're going to be term a couple days earlier. Would you like us to induce you? Well, how many women don't want to, like, get that thing out of them? And so we're, we're okay, sure, sure. And so we're going to go in someday, and, and if the baby doesn't come early by some other chance, we'll start this process of inducing labor. And some drugs will be pumped in, and things will happen, and my wife will start giving birth. Now, nowhere in this process is there going to be a little nine-month-old baby that's being born inside with a megaphone going, PUSH! No, we don't contribute anything to our birth, do we? If anything, this child will be kicking and screaming, sorry, uh, wait, not want, right? It's, and yet, once this baby is delivered into this new world, once it's born, it begins to adapt and live and thrive in its new environment. This is what Peter is showing us. This is what Jesus is telling us. What born again means, just like you didn't contribute to your first birth, Neither do you contribute to your second birth. Neither do you contribute to your second birth. To be born again means that you have been reborn spiritually. To be born again is a work of God within the heart of a sinner. It's a miracle that happens when our souls begin to come alive to the truth that God wants to have a relationship with you so much so that in his mercy he sent his own son. He gave of himself to come and walk along this earth to die on the cross in your place. That's what the mercy is, that God sheltered us from the punishment of his wrath. What we so richly deserved was wrath, and he gave that and put that all upon his son. But he rose again from the dead. And that second birth, that miracle happens when we accept. What do we do? What do you do do in your salvation? You hear and you say, I'm in. I'd like that. Please, thank you. I just receive? Okay. And so we see spiritually we are born again into a living hope. uh, It is according to God's mercy. It is by him that we are Born again. Praise be to God that he chose you, that he chose me. Amen. We are born again. And just like his son rose from the dead, we who are spiritually dead might be born again into a living hope. Living hope is powerful. Living hope is a term that is used to describe an atmosphere. It is a way for us to see hope in continually increasing over time and growing in intensity. It's not just a living hope. It is an overwhelming hope. There are no dark days for the Christian. Sure, we may become downcast. Sure, things may happen where we despair. But hope lives. Hope grows that even in the darkest of days even in the days when i walk through the hospital and i meet with people who have just found out that cancer is back even in the midst of the most frustrating and despairing conditions even in the most painful of breakups even in the most painful of family losses even the most painful of tragedies Hope is still alive because Christ is still alive. We're given hope 
in the past through the resurrection of Christ from the dead. But Peter doesn't stop there. Look in verse 4 with me. You guys still with me? Verse 4. Are you with me? You guys need to catch up. To an inheritance that is, we're, we're born again into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith. Here, Peter turns to the present. Our hope in the past is that Christ has risen from the dead, but here in the present, we see that our hope blesses us today. Our hope blesses us today. Peter clearly shows us that we have been saved or born again into an inheritance. Now, we all know the drill on an inheritance, right? My parents are, in here, are here today. Thanks for being here. You guys honor them when you see them. Shake their hand. You can, yeah, that's fine. Um, I don't know if I'm getting an inheritance. I don't expect much. My parents, for the longest time, have made the joke of being of a sound mind. We spent it all. Um, and so, who knows? Who knows where that's going to go? But here's the thing about an inheritance. When a person dies, there's a reading of the will, right? And the deceased explains how they want their assets to be divided. And if your name shows up in the will, you get something. Hopefully. Hopefully you're not the recipient of that millionaire cat woman who left all of her cats to her, her daughter. You see that on Yahoo News the other day? It's like the biggest white elephant gift you could ever be given. You don't have to have done anything, usually. You just have to be related to the person most of the time. Here's the thing about an inheritance, though. How many times do we hear stories of people who are given enormous amounts of money, just idiotic amounts of money, only to have them squander it away with foolish living? I wonder who's coming to your mind right now. To my mind come two people. The first is the story that Jesus tells in uh, Luke, I believe, of the son who took the father's inheritance and squandered away with wild, reckless, prodigal living. But another more probably close-to-home story is that of the Vanderbilt family. Do you know the Vanderbilts? The Vanderbilts, back many, many years ago in America's history, uh, had the largest amount of wealth. Today, they are estimated to have been, in their past time, worth what was the equivalent of $300 billion. Cornelius Vanderbilt, $300 billion. You're like, Dan, is that a lot? Well, I got like 10. So, like, yeah, that's, that's a lot. To give you some perspective in terms of wealth, uh, Bill Gates is worth about $70 billion. Whatever they had just dwarfs money and, and wealth today, doesn't it? If you've ever toured the um, Biltmore Mansion or you've seen it, um, that was just one descendant from the Vanderbilt family who built that thing. That's just one descendant's wealth of Cornelius Vanderbilt built that massive mansion. Well, in 1973, uh, just 75 years at the, after the height of the Vanderbilt wealth, there was a gathering of 120 direct descendants. Direct descendants could trace the inheritance money the way that where it had come from, directly from Cornelius Vanderbilt. 120 of them, 75 years later, not a single one of those 120 people had a million dollars. They were all, by our estimations, broke. They were poor. Where had it gone? When you were saved by God, you were given an inheritance. 
Because you have a relationship with God. And he calls you a child. More than being a child, he calls you an heir. That's what Paul tells us in Romans 8. And our inheritance is nothing like anything we've ever known. Look at how different Peter calls our inheritance to that of the worldly inheritances. He says that we have an inheritance that is imperishable, which means it will never die or decay. It's not going anywhere. It is undefiled which means that it is not tainted by sin and there is no flaw. It is unfading, which means it does not erode with time. It is still as illustrious today as it was the day that it was given to us, even more so. And look at this. It is kept in heaven for you. Talk about a security plan. Spurgeon noted, there's no place, or there is a place in heaven for me that none of you could fill. There's a harp which no fingers can strike but mine, and a crown which no brow can wear but this. And so with you, you shall have your own, your own appointed inheritance. Friends, you have an inheritance. If you have been born again by God, you have an inheritance. And it is being preserved and protected and secured for you in heaven. How we measure our lives in earthly standards, don't we? How we look at the bank accounts, how we look at the 401ks, and we look at retirement, and we look at the house, and we look at whatever. And how we need to get our eyes off of the temporal and look up to the eternal and thank God for the inheritance that we have today. Our hope blesses us today. But there's this really great switch. Let's push in a little bit further into verse 5. There's this great switch about our hope today that allows us to be encouraged. Peter continues, he says, who by God's power? He's no longer talking about an inheritance, but he's talking about us. We, by God's power, are being guarded through faith. We're being guarded through faith. We're being guarded by God's power. Did you know that? That word there in, in the Greek, Steve gave me this. He's a big like Greek guy. He's like, tell them about this. And so I will. It's really good. It's, it's to be garrisoned. Do you know what a garrison is? To be protected 24-7. Always guarded, always safe. We've seen the president of the United States walking through the West Wing with his security detail. He roams around Washington, D.C. with his motorcade. He's always surrounded by people who look like Tommy Lee Jones and Will Smith and Men in Black. And they're always talking into their wrists. And at their disposal is immense power. Firepower, technological power, air force power. They have money, agents, missiles. America goes to, no, to all expenses. We'll pay everything we can to protect our president, and rightly so. But unfortunately, as history has shown us, even the best of those who are protecting the president cannot always perfectly protect him. We have a God who is perfectly protecting you and me. We have a God who never sleeps on his detail. We have a God whose eyes are never far off of us. We have a God who sees where we are and sees the problems around us and sees the spiritual climate that we're living in. And he speaks into that and he protects us. We have a God who is never not protecting us. He is always watching. He is always with us. We're so thankful for this protection as parents, aren't we? 
We're thankful for this protection as we pray for our adult children who have wandered away from the Lord and we're pleading with God to bring them back. And God, would you protect them? We're thankful that God protects our kids when we pray for our teenage daughters, that they may stand firm in the midst of severe worldly pressure. We thank God that he protects when we lay our infant children down to bed at night and we pray that God might watch over them. This protection of God is not physical protection. We know this because death comes to all. But friends, we have a spiritual security if you've been born again. You have a God that is protecting you. To be garrisoned, it means to be guarded from anyone coming in from the outside and stealing away. And it means to be guarded from the inside, from any desire that would make you want to flee. We have a God who is so perfectly keeping us in his center of his will, who is perfectly keeping our souls so we can be trusted that the day where he is keeping our inheritance in heaven, he is keeping us on earth so that one day he might join us all together. Amen? We have a God who has given us a hope that so blesses us today. Let's finish out our time here in verse 5. Read with me. Verse 5. We are, by God's power, being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter is emphasizing the soundness of our hope and that our hope was raised with Christ. Our hope is a blessing today. And finally, our hope awaits Christ's return. Our hope is awaiting Christ's return. There is a future aspect to this salvation. If you were born again, you were saved the day that you believed. You are saved because you're secure. But there is coming a day when you will be saved with a salvation that is yet to to be revealed. Those words there, uh, in the last days, revealed in the last days, it's apocalyptic eschatos. Those are the words. It's, It's the end times. I'm so grateful that the church didn't ask me to speak on my end times position on my first Sunday preaching to you. We're not going to waste any time on what it might look like. And are you going to get left behind? And is the car going to fly off the road unmanned? And I'm not, I'm not here to talk about any of that stuff. I want to show, show you and draw your attention to the hope that we have that Christ is coming back. And when he does, you will have the possession of the salvation that you already have. And here's, here's what it means. It's, Similar to the picture of that guy that has gotten to know the girl, fallen in love. He's risked a little bit with her and uh, gotten down on his knee and said, will you marry me? And she said, no one said no, right? I want to hear that story if that happened. To, to, to cry with you. She's given him a yes, but it is not the yes. In college, I had, never mind. I'm going to filter myself sometimes, and that's better for you than it is for me. So, um, a yes, but not the yes. They're waiting for the day that they hope they will be joined together as one. There is a promise already that will be realized in the future. But probably more accurate is the illustration of that of a royal family. Think of the prince who is an heir to the throne. Think of the one who possesses royalty and and power and authority, but is not yet a king, has not yet been crowned. 
I think of Prince Charles. I don't know if the king over in England does anything, but he's in line to the throne. And one day he will have a coronation ceremony where he is sworn in. Is this swear him in? You don't swear him in. You swear in a president? You know how much I say. You don't know anything about British uh, ruling monarchies either, do you? You do? Okay, it's just me. Someone educate me later. There'll be a day where he's coronated and he will assume the power that he already has. This is you and this is me. We have the power of salvation today. We are saved. Friends, if you've been born again, you can bank on the fact that God has saved your soul. And yet, at the last days, when Christ returns with the trumpet sound, you will in them, then in him be found. And you will lay hold. The inheritance will move from inheritance to possession. Your salvation will be fully revealed at that day. Oh my goodness, my friends, it gives us hope to pray that Christ might return. It gives us hope to pray that, God, you would come quickly, oh Lord. May we be found in you. So what does it do for persecuted exiles to know that Christ has risen from the dead? It gives us hope, a living hope. What does it do for those struggling in the world's economy of materialism to know that we have a safe and sound inheritance that God keeps for us? It gives us hope. What does it do for the ones committed to following the Lord to know that salvation's best days are still to come? It gives us hope to pray all the more, Lord, come quickly. I wonder if you need your hope revived today. I wonder if you walked into this worship center on your knees spiritually, void of hope in the midst of dark days, having been persecuted and pressed and challenged all around. I beg of you, look up. Turn your gaze upward to God. Look back to see the empty cross and the empty grave. Look now to see that God is guarding your soul and he has given you an inheritance. And look forward, my friends, to know that no matter what happens here on this earth right now, we have a future, we have a hope. And it is in Christ alone. If I were to sit down with you over a cup of coffee today, Maybe some of us in this room would sort of look back at me and say, Dan, I don't, I don't think I've ever had hope. You don't know my life. You don't know the problems. You don't know the victimization. You don't know. You just don't know. I want to urge you, if that's you, if you don't have a relationship with Christ, take this time to consider that Christ has died and Christ has risen for you. That he wants to call you a child and give you an inheritance. He wants to protect your soul. And he wants to give you a future and a hope with him that is eternal glory. Would you bow your eyes as we, or bow your head and close your eyes as we close right now? Just for a moment of concentration and personal privacy. Hope is found in no one else but Jesus Christ. Too many of us have put our hope in things that produce dead hope. And so, Lord, we turn to you now. 
And we ask that you would give us living hope. God, we are grateful for the fact that your son has died in our place on the cross to save us. We are grateful that by your mercy, you have caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unstained, kept in heaven for us, who by your power are being guarded until the last time. And so God, we acknowledge you in the midst of our exile. We acknowledge you in the midst of our daily life. We acknowledge, God, that this salvation is found in no other name but yours alone. And so God, encourage us and help us to realize the hope that we have is found in you. May we continually lift our eyes to you and say, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. May you teach our song of hope to rise even in the desert. May you teach our song of hope to rise when we can't even muster up words. May you teach our song of hope to rise to you to bless your name. We are yours forever, O oh Lord. To your name we pray. Amen.